are entering the Freedom Hut. We got him. The bomber is in custody. Cesar Sayok, 56 years old, allegedly the man behind sending a dozen suspicious packages, including live bombs, pipe bombs, to various important Democrats, is caught. We'll talk about what this means and where the conversation's going. Coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I'd like to begin today's remarks by providing an update on the packages and devices that have been mailed to high-profile figures throughout our country and a media organization. I am pleased to inform you that law enforcement has apprehended the suspect and taken him into custody. It's an incredible job by law enforcement. We've carried out a far-reaching federal, state, and local investigation to find the person or persons responsible for these events. These terrorizing acts are despicable and have no place in our country. Over the past week, more than a dozen suspicious packages have been sent through the United States Postal Service to a media outlet a Hollywood actor, and at least seven high-ranking current and former political leaders in the Democratic Party. This is utterly unacceptable. Political violence or the threat of violence is antithetical to our vigorous system of self-government. It is a threat to that respect for law and process that allows our people to accept legislation elections, court rulings, with which they do not agree. This is the central feature of our system of government. You advocate for your beliefs enthusiastically, but we peaceably and lawfully comply with the results. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Just as uh, I had expected all week, law enforcement was much closer to an arrest in the last couple of days than we had thought based on the information that had been released. They now have Cesar Sayoc in custody. He faces uh, five federal counts so far, interstate transport of explosives, mailing of explosives, threats against former presidents, making threatening interstate communications and assault of current or former officials. He faces up to 48 years behind bars if convicted on all counts. This guy, if he's convicted, he's spending the rest of his life in prison, as he should. Uh, This caused a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. um, And uh, while there were no injuries, there was a huge amount of resources that had to be devoted to this. And, you know, the fear and the psychological damage that was done to folks, especially anybody who was near one of these devices, um, that's something that we have to punish to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, the break in the case apparently was related to fingerprints. Everything that we've been talking about this week with, with the uh, ways that DNA can be useful and, and how the intact devices would provide a treasure trove of information for, from a forensics perspective, all that was accurate. There's also some early reporting that the 
usage of cell phones and cell phone triangulation might have been part of this as well. Essentially, once you figured out where the drops were for this mail, you could probably pull cell phones within a certain radius. And if this guy had his phone on him, uh, then they have a way of narrowing things down. He also is a certainly not a criminal mastermind, but a career criminal with a rap sheet of all. I mean, so much stuff that I can't even think of it off the top of my head. I mean, he's got all kinds of uh, criminal activities background, including a previous uh, previous bomb threat. Um, previous bomb threat, I think from 2002, as well as drug stuff and stealing. And he's, he's got he's got a long, long rap sheet. So the threat, based on everything we know, is completely gone. There is nothing, there's nothing to suggest that this guy had any one assisting him. There's any cell or cluster here, anyone else that is operational on his behalf. This was a lone crazy in a van. The van, which you may very well have seen already, uh, the van is covered in pro-Trump and pro-Pence paraphernalia and CNN sucks and other uh, anti-mainstream media stuff. He clearly was very attuned to the rhetoric of the right and particularly of Donald Trump himself in a way that is being seized on. Um, now, look, we, we left open the possibility all week that there would be a few different ways that this could go, right? That there would be a few different possibilities for motive here. Uh, we discussed that it could be a crazy. We discussed that it could be, a, yes, it could have been a, a false flag operation, but there was no evidence to support anything other than bombs are being sent. It was a very dangerous situation and it needed to be uh, fixed dealt with as soon as possible. Let's also just take a moment to say that law enforcement did an incredible job here and they should be commended for working under tremendous pressure and doing so uh, with the entire country watching and uh, and very much paying attention to every move here. By the way, we've got a little more from Attorney General uh, Sessions. He actually read out the charges. Play 12. He has been charged today with five federal crimes, including interstate transportation of an explosive, illegal mailing of explosives. You you don't need to hear Sessions. You don't need to hear Sessions. Read it out again. A lot of charges. He's facing life in prison. He's facing life in prison. So uh, that's, this is really over with now. There's not all that much to say. Nobody was even injured in this, so thank God. Um, But this is now an entirely political discussion. That's where this goes. There's not a security angle here. Law enforcement was on the ball, got this guy, tracked him down. Everything that we thought would happen with this happened. This is really textbook from the investigative standpoint. Now this is the food fight that we've all known was already happening, but now it's going to get even worse about how this is Trump's fault. They want to say that this is Trump's fault. It doesn't matter that We didn't blame the left. We didn't blame Bernie Sanders himself for the James Hodgkinson shooting on that baseball diamond. doesn't matter that it's a fallacy to assume that somebody who says something that is not calling for inspiring violence can be blamed for the violent acts of another person who happens to agree with a public persona, a, a politician, any number of different things. Um, this is untenable. 
we can't actually be forced to take responsibility for actions that other people do, not based on what we tell them to do, but based on the fact that they have their own demons, their own problems, and they are crazy. But be prepared for an avalanche here of media coverage and commentary, particularly commentary about how Trump needs to change his tone. Trump has to stop calling the media fake news. He has to stop. He has to stop doing everything that that they don't like. This now is the secret weapon that they have to get Trump to shut up. And I'm here to tell you that would be a huge mistake. This is not Trump's fault. This is not your fault. It is not my fault. We take no responsibility for this because we bear no responsibility for this. We share ideas. We fight for the truth. And we will not be forced into a meek position in our politics and our principles because of the, the acts of one lone crazy man. It's just not going to happen. The media is going to try really hard. They're going to engage in all kinds of demagoguery and moral blackmail. They're going to just hammer the Trump administration all weekend over this. We must hold the line. We've got more coming up, team. Stay with me for this Friday. We've got some fun guests joining the show later on, too. So I'll be right back. How dare he say the things he does? Of course I want to punch him in the face. Right. And it was only a symbolic thing anyway. It wasn't like I was going to go find him and punch him in the face. But he's got to hear it. He's got to hear it. You know, that that's what he makes people feel. This idiot is the president. The guy is a fool. Come on. Our government today, with the prompting of our baby in chief, has in chief, I call him. Hey, the baby in chief. Hey, he's a fool. I want to punch him in the face, I said. Robert De Niro, hey. Oh, gosh. You know, this is what you hear from celebrities. This is what you hear from the left. You know, could you imagine any celebrity saying that he wanted to punch, oh, I don't know, a former president when he was president in the face like that and, and get away with it? I remember when a guy wore an Obama mask at a, uh, what was that, at a, at a rodeo, uh, at a rodeo. <laughs> at a rodeo thing, at a rodeo. And I think that guy got death threats. I mean, he, he was in deep trouble. I remember when an MMA fighter said he wanted Obama to get in the ring so he could fight him, which he obviously didn't actually mean any harm to the president and didn't think that Obama was going to get in the ring with him. And the Secret Service visited him. So, you know, De Niro, hey, I want to punch him in the face. Uh, it just goes to show you there are definitely... Uh, very different standards that are being applied here all the time. But we're all sick of it. I'm sick of the hypocrisy. I, I don't want to be forced into uh, standing around and acting like we're all being judged by the same standard because we're not. And it's dishonest. And I don't like that. Yeah, it was that the uh, producer Mike says a rodeo clown at the Missouri State Fair back in, I don't know, 2011, probably 2012. 13. 2013. Close. I was close, though. That was pretty yeah, good off the top of yeah. my head. Yeah. You know. It's just it's just crazy. I mean, they, they hate Trump so much. They say all this stuff that's so negative about the president in a way that has nothing to do with his policies, really. That, that's what's so remarkable. They hate the man. I mean, they really despise Trump. Who's a nice guy. I mean, you talk to him. He's a you know, he's a, he's a guy's guy. He's a fun guy. He's obviously very dynamic, very entertaining. You know, but they man, they just totally despise him. Um, and they say really 
destructive, really damaging things. By the way, you know, Clapper is out there. Uh, and and he, he sees this. He's crowing right now. But I don't know how long Clapper is going to be in a position to crow about anything because when we find out the truth of what happened with the whole Russia collusion farce, I think Clapper is going to be in a whole world of trouble. But uh, here, here's what he said about the Trump situation. Play eight. Well, I thought the uh, teleprompter statement that the president made from the White House initially uh, sounded the right note. I think it would have been a lot more appropriate, a lot more sincere, had he actually named uh, the targets and said something reassuring to them. Uh, and as well, I thought it was, uh, uh, and I'm sure it was intentional, not even to mention uh, CNN. And, uh, and this, you know, that this is an assault on one of our most important institutions in this country which is a free press. And CNN has set the example here by continuing uh, to exercise that important responsibility. CNN is not the only part of the free press. And I know they like to think of themselves as holding the line against fascism, but the entirety of the media is is basically against Trump with the exception of some websites, one cable news channel, and some, and some powerful talk radio shows. Everybody else against him. Every major newspaper, every other news channel, Hollywood, all of it. You know, the literati, the intelligentsia, academia, all of them are completely and utterly opposed to this president. So this notion that anyone who stands athwart Trump is taking this brave position, it's just, a, it's, it's farcical. It is farcical. That's a word. That's a word. Um, pretty sure that's a word. So... That's one thing. Oh, I didn't get to play this even before. Here's the kind of stuff that people say about this president. Producer Mike pulled together this montage to give you a sense of when when they talk about overheated rhetoric. Well, here you go. Play clip one. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. Let me give you one bottom line. As a former government official, government's going to kill this guy. If you're going to shoot him, you've got to shoot to kill. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? I'll clarify, I'm not an actor. I lie for a living. However, it's been a while. And maybe it's time. The donor class can't just sit back on the sidelines and say, oh, well, don't worry, this will all work itself out. They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. So we're going to talk about rhetoric and we could find all that for you very quickly, very easily. That's all about as as overheated as it gets, isn't it? Uh, Short of a direct exhortation to violence. I mean, short of somebody saying, go do this thing now. Although. In a you know, it was pretty close there with some of what was being said. Um, I don't think that we need to have any lectures on the left about this. I don't think that we need to. In fact, I refuse to be lectured by the left on this issue. Uh, I think they are disgraceful in the way that they have largely embraced mob tactics right now. I mean, they, they've defended them. I and mean, th- that's what's so different. No one on the right is saying that this mad bomber was anything other than a dangerous loon, this Cesar Sayoc, 
was anything other than a dangerous loon who should be locked away for the rest of his natural life. Nobody says that. I mean, no one of any um, any prominence, no one with any kind of following, no one of any of any decency or, or public repute would ever say such a thing. And yet here we are being lectured by the left. I mean, the, the amount of jubilation I saw from the left on social media today when they found out that, yes, this guy's, uh, as one Twitter user put it, uh, this guy's van looked like Steve Bannon was a transformer. Now, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of pro-Trump stuff all over it. Uh, I referred to it earlier today as the Breitbart Mobile, which I was kidding, obviously. But, you know, there's uh, there's a fair amount of pro-Trump paraphernalia all over it. And this gets the left really excited, not because of anything other than now, not, not only do they think that it justifies their inordinately worse political rhetoric and behavior for the last 18 months, but going forward, they're going to use this as a hammer against us. They're going to use this as a cudgel and a means of essentially bludgeoning us all into submission on this. That's the plan. And I think we should all just be very aware of that right away. Uh, just know that you will hear this guy, Cesar Sayoc's name, many thousands more times over the next, you know, six months than you ever will James Hodgkinson, who is the shooter who, uh, who hit uh, Steve Scalise and almost took out a whole bunch of other congressmen of that baseball diamond in Virginia. Uh, this is none of this stuff. None of these differences are an accident. There are profound biases at work here. We absolutely condemn in the strongest possible terms everything that this guy Cesar Sayuk did. Um, there's nothing else that we can do, and we don't have any responsibility beyond that. He is not of the right in any real or respectable fashion. He's a maniac, a crazy person who latched on to rhetoric to justify insane, vicious, violent, and dangerous behavior. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence, or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? <laughs> Does one of us have to come out alive? <laughs> Please don't just come here today and then go home. Go to the hill today. Get up and please get up in the face of some Congress people. Michelle says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No. No. When they go low, we kick them. Press always asks me, don't I wish I were debating him? No, I wish we were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. That's what I wish. Well, he wants to send the military to the border, so... I want to send the military to the White House to get him. <laughs> it is fair to blame, in some sense, the president's rhetoric. Now, our president cannot escape special scrutiny. He is at the head of the hate parade. Donald Trump unleashed the dogs of hatred in this country. The rhetoric that comes out of that White House is not helpful at all. Um, there's collateral damage. 
the tone is coming from the top and now CNN has become a target. I do know in my heart that President Trump bears a lot of responsibility for rhetoric that made it almost inevitable that top Democrats in the media would be targeted. To say there is no connection between what Trump has said about Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, John Brennan and CNN and the thinking of the person who sent those pipe bombs is foolhardy. This is someone who has weaponized Trump's Twitter feed and made it into a hit list. Notice how we switch there in that little montage we played. It starts off with very prominent, famous anti-Trump Democrats saying all manner of, you know, nasty, violent, degradatory. Is that a word? I think it's a word. Degrading. I think I think I might have just made up degradatory. Is that a, did I just make up a word or derogatory? Degradatory. Oh yeah, yeah I did. I just made up a word on. Yeah, I just made up a word on live radio. That's interesting. Oh, you know what? We'll go with it. Derogatory was what I was looking for, <laughs> but but degradatory sounds doesn't that also you know it kind of sounded like a word. I kind of made up my own word there for a second. Oh, folks, it's been a long week. <laughs> there you go. But I you know, that's when you know you're a real baller. Like Bush when when Bush said misunderestimated, I knew exactly what he meant. You know, and that's now a word. When he called himself the decider, that wasn't technically a word either, but it might as well have been a word. And now it is a word. I think it's great. You know, who's the decider? We say, Oh, who's the person who makes the decisions? No, no, no. The decider. Uh anyway, so I, I made up a word there. Let's get back to the, the substance here. So they, they are all saying these things about Trump, very nasty things, very um, derogatory things. And then they all immediately jump to, it's Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault that this clearly disturbed, very, yes, dangerous and, and, and evil, but sad and pathetic human being uh, decided to send these, these homemade, they were pipe bombs and they were, they were live bombs. I mean, they could have gone off if this guy knew what he was doing. Thank God they did not. Um, but there's really no principle that the left is using here to determine, you know, what is acceptable, what is acceptable political speech and what is incitement. It's just what does your side do? That's bad. What does my side do? That's okay. And that's really the primary separation. There's really a, not a lot to separate things beyond that. There's not much that you can point to where you'd say, you know, oh, I see that there's some establishment of an actual baseline of of how we can adjudicate these things. No, no, no. It's just my side good, your side bad. Uh, and we knew that this was going to happen. Uh, it's just it's just very it's frustrating to see this um, because it is so it is so obvious it is so clear. Oh, Governor Cuomo also wants to weigh in on the bombs. Let me first assert that a bomb is a combustible device with explosive material that can be dangerous. Play 13. Political mania, this fervor, rancor, hatred. Uh, you'll see this again and again and again. Thank God nobody got hurt. Um, uh, I don't know if that was by design of the bomb or just uh, an amateur building the bomb. But we have to get to the genesis, and the genesis is a overheated, vitriolic political division in this country. And it starts with the leaders, and it starts with the president, 
with heated rhetoric, but I think we also have to start talking to the American people and say, hey, this has to stop. This is not constructive. It's not productive. It's not sustainable. I'm telling you, they're only establishing rules for our side. Their side can still say and do whatever they want. There's no good faith from the left in this, oh, let's tone down the rhetoric. It's just, it doesn't exist. They're not, they're not planning to self-police on their side at all, I assure you. It, 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 any differently than they already are. I mean, yeah, sure, sometimes they'll say crazy things and maybe somebody will speak out against it, but there's not going to be any moving in the goalposts here. But they want to use this as a way to, to hammer our side. They would like us to stop fighting. They would, when I mean, I mean, I mean, fighting for our side, fighting for what we believe in and what we think is best for the country. Uh, one other aspect of this that I think we all need to remember is that there's nothing realistically that President Trump could do that would make them stop saying that he is guilty of all this overheated rhetoric and bad stuff. There is nothing that President Trump realistically could say that would make them stop. And it does not matter how he modifies his behavior. They will insist that his behavior is unacceptable no matter what he does. So where's the upside then for the president? Where is the, you know, where, where's the motivation to listen to them when all it means is that he'll be less effective, he'll be less effective in his use of rhetoric and they'll continue doing exactly what they do. They're going to keep calling him a traitor. They're going to keep calling him crazy. They're going to say that everyone who supports him is racist. I mean, all this stuff. By the way, that, that's a more mainstream. Some Democrats won't say that uh, publicly because then they then they have to defend this uh, issue. They have to defend themselves on this issue, which is why is it that everyone who supports Trump is racist when the only reason that Trump was able to win the election was because former Obama voters were like, I'm going to vote for Trump this time. I'm not voting for Hillary. So those Obama voters, they became racist after Obama, after, after they'd voted for Obama. That's one of many ways you could take that discussion that I think makes it very, very hard for the left. Um, but they do believe, I mean, Democrats will say among themselves, and I've heard it, and you know, I've got a lot of Democrat contacts, especially these days, uh, that they think that all Trump supporters are essentially racist. They're not going to stop saying that. That also really means that all Trump supporters in the eyes of a large portion of the Democratic Party are not worth having a conversation with, not worth engaging with. We need to be brought to heal, we need to be forced, I mean that H-E-E-L, right? Not healing like in the good way. We need to be forced, um, not not in the degradatory degradatory <laughs> way. I, I want to make it a word because I think it sounds it sounds cool. It's fun to say. Um, but their, their whole play here is to say, all right, everybody, let's tone in the rhetoric. It's essentially like unilateral disarmament. So our side will stop calling out the fake news. Our side will stop saying that the, the, the media lies about Trump, which they do, that the media is incredibly biased about Trump, which they are. And, and all of this will stop that and just allow the GOP to go back to what it was before, where we just constantly get humiliated and uh, mistreated, lied about, lied to by the press and, and the media more generally. And we have to sit there and say, well, you know, we're being good, good sports about it, though. And, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. I, I would prefer that we take a different approach, which is the approach we're taking now. It would be a shame. In fact, I would offer to you that it would be unjust for us to cease fighting on these issues 
of importance to our country and to the Trump movement. Cease fighting as hard as we have been and as hard as we know we should because of the actions of one maniac. I mean, what, what an injustice that would be. I have nothing to do with Cesar Sayoc, neither do you. We, we are not answerable for his acts. We are not responsible for what he said or did or anything else. Has nothing to do with us whatsoever. We condemn it. He should go to prison for the rest of his life. That's it. Don't let the left force you into abandoning what matters to you, what's important to you. Don't let them capitalize on this in a cynical way because that's what is going on right now. That's going to be the whole game. You'll see endless news stories on this next week, so be prepared for it. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who yeah. have protesters taking up at their house. Who yeah. saying no peace, no sleep. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, yeah. in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. I think the President of the United States should take responsibility uh, for the kind of violence that we're seeing uh, for the first time in different ways. I think the President of the United States has been dog whistling uh, to his constituency, making them believe that their problems are caused by those people over there. And I think that they're acting out what they believe the President wants them to do. He, in his own way, uh, really does do a lot to promote violence. Now they're trying to turn it on us. Of course, uh, they would like to intimidate us, and of course, we must be uh, wise, we must not be foolish and act in f uh, foolish ways, but we should never stop the struggle and the fight for justice and equality in this country. Well, Maxine Waters is very foolish. And, you know, we, we just gave you there, on the one hand, she's calling for essentially, you know, rabble-rousing. She wants people to get up in faces. She wants to, you know, to yell and scream and be nasty and mean and you know, don't don't give them a moment's peace. And then she's, you know, saying that Trump is the one who is is inciting violence. Trump is the one who is causing uh, causing problems. And this is why I, I knew this was going to be the case all week, uh, assuming that we got to where we are now, where we know that this guy is a, a wacko and is going to be the right is going to be saddled with this with this complete. You know, look, he's he's a dangerous. He's a dangerous maniac, so he's got to spend the rest of his life in prison, and he needs to, you know, there need to be serious consequences for this. Well, you really think that this guy is also, I mean, he's, he, there's a, something sad about someone who is so, so deranged and pathetic and, and evil and just the whole thing. I mean, he's a really pathetic human being. Um, but now we're supposed to act like this guy has supporters or this guy is representative of, you know, a broader sentiment on the right. Meanwhile, no. We have a country of 320 million people. And now I can think of, there, there's one, there's one person that we can associate with being a Trump supporter uh, who, since Trump has been president, people would say, oh, well, you know, he's a, he's a lethal threat because of his, uh, what he views as his politics. 
Um, but now that they're going to make this, you're going to hear about this forever. This is never going to go away. They're going to be talking about this one. I mean, they still talk about uh, an abortion clinic bomber from like the 1990s. I think it was like 1993. You'll still hear about bombing abortion clinics. It hasn't happened in you know a very long time. But that's anytime you talk about terrorism. And, and then you also get into this whole discussion. And I wanted to discuss it with the Young Turks guy who was on my show on Rising This Morning with Jenk Weger, because now we're going to hear again. You watch, next week, there'll be this, oh, right-wing terrorism is the really scary terrorism. Right-wing terrorism kills more people. That tends to be the the headline that they lead with. And I always have to point out, well, the big issue there is, one, do you exclude 9-11 from it? Uh, That's first and foremost. But then also there's a whole bunch of other things, like how do you really count this? What is the determining factor in whether something is counted as terrorism? Because with some of the federal statistics that they look at for this, they'll say, well, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi got into a bar fight and stabbed someone to death, and they call that terrorism. Well, if the guy was a minority, they'll say it's terrorism. Now, is that a hate crime? Is it murder? Yes. Is it terrorism, though, in the way that we think of terrorism? The, the definition can be a little bit uh, a little bit less obvious, less clear, right? It's a hate crime, it's murder, but is it terrorism? Uh, and then you you look at, the way that they constantly exclude from from the discussion uh, and from the statistics thwarted attacks. I mean, the moment that you start looking at thwarted attacks, then you realize that radical Islam is far and away the biggest threat that we have. You know, you look at the Times Square bomber, you look at the underwear bomber, Farouk Abdul-Muttalib. I mean, these are attacks would have killed hundreds of people. Most of the right-wing terrorism that they cite, with a, with a couple of exceptions over the last 15 years, Most of the right-wing terrorism they cite is single acts of violence against individuals by uh, neo-Nazis or uh, or white nationalists. Again, heinous, evil uh, crimes that should be punished to the fullest extent of the law, but it's not strategic-level national threat terrorism the way that radical Islamic terrorism is. But I'm just telling you, you're going to... Now that we've got this guy uh, who's been captured today... This this uh, Cesar fellow Cesar Sayrock. Uh, what's I keep forgetting is how to say his last name. I mean, everyone remembers his first name, but not custody. Everyone's saying, uh, everyone's saying that you know he's obviously so pro-Trump and he's such a bad guy. Oh, Cesar Sayrock. I said Sayrock. Sayrock. What is his? Uh, do we know what his? I mean, his not. I mean, he's American, but what, what's his? Uh, his parents' nationality, or his parents' parents' nationality. I'm just wondering if there's any... I mean, he's, his first name is Cesar. That's kind of unusual. Anyway, uh, yeah, they're going to they're gonna run with this, though. And this is what we have to deal with now. This is not going away anytime soon. It's uh, unfortunately going to be used against us. And I don't know if it's going to sway the midterms. I really hope that it doesn't. I hope that people can see that this is just one deranged maniac. But you're going to see... Flood the zone coverage of this issue for the next solid week and change. Uh, because they want this to be first and foremost on the minds of as many voters as possible. And, and they're gonna be they're gonna be really pushing this. I mean, they really want people to think that this is this is what uh, what we need to be on the lookout for. That the real concern is right wing terrorism when you know look, there's gonna be crazy people of all kinds from all places, but there you have it. Here's a tweet from President Trump, quote, 
Twitter has removed many people from my account, and more importantly, they have seemingly done something that makes it much harder to join. They have stifled growth to a point where it is obvious to all. A few weeks ago, it was a rocket ship. Now it is a blimp. Total bias? That's from the leader of the free world, my friends, who has an enormous Twitter following, but he knows that something's up. If you don't trust these social media giants to do right by you anymore, there are other places to go. Snippy.com is a new social media site that has none of the bias, none of the left-leaning agenda nonsense that's going to be shadow banning people, kicking you off the platform, or deciding what you can say and what gets seen. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. I just posted yesterday. You can just get in the conversation whenever you want. Free to join, free to post. A new social media site with no agenda and no bias. All about your thoughts and ideas. Snippy.com. The powerful and the privileged fight hard to keep what they got. And they will try to make you angry and cynical and distracted. And they'll try to exploit our history of racial division or ethnic division or religious division. They'll try to pit us against one another. They'll tell you that, oh no, everything would be okay if it just weren't for those folks who don't look like you. They'll say whatever it takes to keep their stuff. To maintain their privileges even if it's not fair. Especially when it's not fair. They like it that way. Even when it hurts the country. Even when it puts people at risk. It's a cynical kind of politics, but frankly, sometimes it works. Speaking of cynical politics, Obama was just putting on a clinic there. As you know, he's out and about, stumping for the Democrats, trying to give them a last last, uh, minute boost, a little surge to push them into the victory column when it comes to the House of Representatives. I still think very clearly they're going to lose the Senate. But that that just one soundbite there was a really interesting distillation of Obamaism. And it was also a reminder of what we used to deal with when Obama was president for eight years. He creates all these straw men, doesn't give any specifics about anything, uh, but, but uses buzzwords and plays to the emotions and insecurities and uh, envy of the crowd, of whoever he's speaking to. And he's talking about the powerful and the privileged. And I just note, this is a guy who is worth right now probably in the neighborhood of 50 to $100 million. I mean, his book advance for him and for Michelle Obama was, I think, on its own, 20 to $30 million. This is a very, very wealthy guy who has been president for eight years and who can hang out with, call, get on the, you know, get out for lunch, uh, you know, has access to to the most powerful people on the planet. And you could argue himself is probably one of the most powerful people on the planet still, even though he's no longer in elected office. But he's telling this, this crowd, you know, when he's out there giving these stump speeches for Democrats, I mean, clearly the bad guys here are Republicans. But his usage of, of power and privilege is somehow these evil things that people want to cling to. What exactly is he talking about there? When he uses the word privilege enough, it makes me think that maybe this is supposed to be a reference because, you know, there are, there are certain buzzwords or buzz phrases on the left. White privilege is one of them. You'll often hear about 
white privilege uh, among progressives. Now, Obama didn't say that, but, I, you know, the, the repetition of privilege as a, con, you know, privilege is something to be concerned about because people are trying to maintain their privilege. I mean, I, I, he's not talking about Nicaraguan immigrants. So uh, then, though, when you, when you look at what's just beneath the surface of some of these statements, he was talking about the powerful and privileged maintaining their stuff. They don't want to give it to you. You know, he really is a community organizer at heart. I mean, he is a quasi-Marxist agitator. That that has been his his um, ideological foundation for as long as he's been in public life. He just has a certain, you know, uh, charismatic presentation and, uh, and a compelling personal story and all this, you know, fancy degrees and other things. But ultimately, Obama thinks that Society is broken up between those who have stuff and don't want to give it to other people and use the government and the power that they have either in or outside of government in order to make sure that they keep the stuff, that they have stuff, and that other people don't. Uh, that sounds very, that has a Marxist twang, right? That sounds like it's very much about the redistribution of wealth. And I think it's so noteworthy that President Obama, who himself is incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful, that's where he knows that's the sweet spot for Democrats. Envy, envy, push that, push that notion. It's, it's powerful politics and accuse the other side of being cynical. You know, what is it that Republicans, because Republicans want to give a little less of their own money to the government, they're being greedy. This is a, a an essential talking point on the left. You'll you'll hear this all the time. You know, tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires. Okay, well they're still paying a vastly disproportionate share of taxes overall. I mean, uh, the top one percent pays I think thirty percent of all federal income taxes. So there we already have a very progressive income tax system, but that doesn't really factor in, does it? For for Obama, it's all just about. You know, you are owed, you being the people that he's talking to, whoever it is, wherever it is, every speech he gives, same basic theme. There are, the, the other guys don't want the government to have more control over lives and take more of their stuff because they don't want you to have more stuff. He creates this perception that prosperity and security and all these things that people strive for in society, that that's zero sum. One side has it, the other side doesn't. Meanwhile, what do the Democrats have to say? How do they explain all these Democrat billionaires who are out there? You know, what do they have to say about that? And the answer is, you know, they never really address this. You know, why, why is it that if you are an incredibly wealthy Silicon Valley entrepreneur, hedge fund manager, uh, Hollywood celebrity, go down the list. I mean, these are people that have amassed incredible fortunes. All Democrats. Why, why are they all Democrats? You know, what I find to be the case is that people people that have had to work incredibly hard and overcome tremendous struggle to make their money uh, tend to be at least more fiscally conservative. People that win the genetics lottery by being incredibly beautiful, Hollywood people, uh, people who get really, really lucky with you know, signing on to a startup early on in Silicon Valley, you know, being like the 10th guy in the door and now their options are worth a billion dollars. You know, they tend to be liberal. I, I, you know, this is just, that's anecdotal, but that's my sense of it. If you've had to sweat it out, risk 
many nights sleep, uh, you know, do your own taxes, take out your own trash, uh, cut back on, on, you know, eating out because you're trying to make a, a business work that you started yourself. I just find that those people, in my experience, are conservatives. I, it's just, that's the only way I could explain the, the difference in the economic philosophy here. Uh, but o- Obama was preaching about even more than, than just the notion of the powerful and the privileged and how they want to hold on to their stuff. He also kept talking about the economy. Play that. Play 17. Think, think, think back to where we were a decade ago. We had been going through one of those conservative periods, and Republicans had been cutting taxes for the rich. They'd been cutting rules for big banks. And we got hit by the worst financial crisis in our lifetimes. And Democrats had to come in and clean it up. And we got the economy growing again. It's been growing ever since, by the way. So when folks talk right now about, oh, the economy's doing so well, where do you think that started? How about with Reagan? Why did it start with Obama? How, how about we've had even, we had an even bigger financial pullback with the Great Depression and we recovered from that and went entered a period of huge economic growth and a boom. I mean, Obama really, at what point does he, does, does it become laughable that he thinks he takes credit for the economy? We're, we're almost two years into the Trump presidency. We're still hearing about how Obama, reminder, by the way, Obama never achieved a 3% growth, GDP growth for an entire year. Never. Only president in history for whom that's the case. So when do we get to say that this is just ridiculous, that what he's saying is is transparently false? And, and I would also note, you know, the uh, the government was the problem with what happened in the Great Recession. And liberals don't ever talk about this. You know, when he says the greedy banks and all this stuff, that that's what happened. No, what really happened was that liberals said that banks should lend to people who can't pay it back. But if you can't pay it back and you happen to be non-privileged, and particularly if you fall into certain minority categories, then banks have to lend to you even though you're bad. You're a bad bet for a loan. And you do that enough, and the federal government backstops those loans and says, well, we'll, we'll pay if these people default. We, we've got you. We've got you covered, Wall Street. Then Wall Street does what it does. That's what really happened. I mean, you know, one question Obama should be forced to ask or be forced to answer, rather, by someone in the media, would be, what exactly did you do that was so great for the economy? What exactly does does he think got in? He says, got the, got the economy going, got it going. Got it going how? What, what exactly did he do? And I think the truth is, it's very clear, he, he has absolutely no answer to that. I mean, the stimulus was was atrocious. The stimulus was a huge waste of money, and that was money that, was just put on the tab for future generations to pay. So what did Obama what did Obama bring to the table when it came to getting the economy up and running? The answer is he doesn't even have an answer. He's just out there. It's just all demagoguery. It's all so shallow. But really that's a good summary of what we had for eight years of Obama. To all the business owners, HR folks, anyone who's hiring anybody across the country, you got to make sure that the person who is doing your background checks knows what they're doing and can get you answers fast and make sure that the work they're doing is efficient and all based here in the United States. That's why you want Global Verification Network. 
Global Verification is the only dual certified and veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran owned small business and their risk mitigation experts are headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation. A lot of the other guys in this space send the work to be done overseas. If your data gets lost, if the sensitive background check stuff is a problem, guess what? You're out of luck. You want Global Verification Network on it. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network, leave no stone unturned. You know, team, one of the issues that uh, I used to spend a lot of time on air discussing, one of the things that really, uh, in my early days in this uh, media world, was top of the list, uh, was radical Islam. You had these terrorist attacks that that kept seemed like they kept happening and happening and the rise of the Islamic State and uh, and then Boko Haram and these other groups and you know there was a, a very understandable concern when you had an actual uh, caliphate which is it was short-lived but that's what it was you had an actual caliphate begin in the Middle East people were wondering well how long is this going to last and what are we going to do about this as a as a national security concern national security threat and and is it even an existential threat for us and that talk that discussion has dramatically lessened Uh, and i can't say that it all is is trump obviously there's a lot of things that go into this but i do think the trump administration has had some effect on this i think that there's a recognition that this current president isn't going to give any leeway for islamists to say overrun a country and start lopping off people's heads and making these horrific, uh, you know, torture and execution videos, all the stuff that we saw in the Obama years, which, you know, a half a million people, maybe more now, but a half a million people were estimated to have died in the Syrian civil war. Obama's foreign policy was essentially MIA during this. I mean, he, he had nothing to offer uh, of any real substance other, other than, look, we didn't commit 100,000 troops to Syria. I mean, we didn't, decide to try to rebuild Syria. I think that one of the one of the lessons that the establishment GOP has still refused to learn is how angry a lot of conservatives are, especially now with with uh, you know hindsight being 2020 and with all the wisdom we have with the passage of time, I think there are a lot of people who are very very angry uh, that the whole Iraq war went down the way that it did and that we were led into that and it ended up putting Nancy Pelosi in power and led to the rise of Barack Obama and all, all the rest of it. Uh, and, and that's just on a political level, on a more importantly, on a national security and, and military and geostrategic level. We sent over a lot of soldiers. We took a lot of losses, um, many, many more wounded and we look back on this and what exactly was the purpose of that mission? So that's, I know it's a broader philosophical point, but I do think we should keep that in mind. But the news story today, I mean, the one that got me thinking about this, because we don't talk that much about radical Islam these days, is that the European Court of Human Rights, which, look, I know this isn't about us, this doesn't affect us, but the European Court of Human Rights has said now that free speech does not include defaming the prophet of Islam. That's right. Free speech is no longer inclusive of saying stuff about 
the Prophet Muhammad. And by the way, some of you get mad at me when I say the Prophet Muhammad. I'm not saying he's my prophet, but we need some way to designate who this guy is because you may be very aware of this fact. A lot of Muhammad's running around. Now, I don't think it's enough to just say Muhammad. You know, Maybe you can figure it out by context, but people say the Prophet Muhammad because you know, then we all know who we're talking about. But it's now uh, not considered free speech to say anything mean about the Prophet Muhammad. And you know, you can say, oh, Buck, but that's Europe. Why does that really matter? Keep in mind that one of the big arguments that we constantly hear now in this country is that what they're doing in Europe, we should replicate here when it comes to economics, when it comes specifically to healthcare. Oh, it works in Europe. We should do it here. Canada has also gone down this path. Canada is no longer a country where you can uh, reliably speak on issues that deal with Islam and radicalism and uh, radicalism and they also have these and never mind also the gender you know male female issue um, which has really launched Professor Peterson's career by the way was that he was one who said like I'm not going to play this game of calling people Z as a function of law that just strikes me as 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 bizarre and uh, and he was right it, it was bizarre but here you have the U- European Court of Human Rights by the way this is the um this is the the case that got this some um, uh, some attention. Quote, the European Court of Human Rights ruled Austrian courts had carefully balanced her uh, the right of freedom of an Austrian woman who called Muhammad a pedophile due to his marriage to a six-year-old girl. Uh, the woman, in her late 40s and identified only as ES, claimed during two public seminars in 2009 that Muhammad's marriage to a young girl was, quote, akin to pedophilia. According to Islamic tradition, the marriage between Muhammad and a six-year-old girl was consummated when she was nine and he was about 50. So here we have a faith tradition that is practiced by 1.7 billion people. And the founder of this faith, a prophet who, for believers, and I am not one, so I do not believe this, obviously, but for believers, uh, was dictated by the angel Gabriel, uh, a, a a new holy book that really is meant to overtake all the previous holy books. Uh, but it's also accepted that he had uh, a, a relationship, a sexual relationship, with, when he was 50, when he was a middle-aged man, with a child. That, that's, I mean, that's just a statement of the facts. And this woman was convicted for saying this. She was convicted of disparaging Religious doctrines had to pay a $547 fine. So this has now been upheld. Uh, the European Court of Human Rights says that this is this serves the legitimate aim of, quote, preserving religious peace. Let me have a few words to say about this. Um, okay. If we cede this ground that we are no longer allowed to say things that are offensive to people, especially offensive to people, who are in a special protected class because of their religion, their skin color, their ethnicity, their nationality, if we cede that ground, uh, we will increasingly find that that is just the beginning of much, uh, much more widespread speech restrictions. And we used to understand this. We used to understand this as a country. I think increasingly we are not just losing sight of it, but also being force-fed the opposite. 
there's a canary in the coal mine effect here with the EU and with Canada and with free speech. We should pay very close attention to it. I got to say, I thought this was a fantastic uh, story in that it lets me do one of my favorite things, which is beat up on millennials, which everyone in the media does, including people like me who are technically millennials. Uh, you know, This is where you make the hackneyed avocado toast joke. Uh, this is where you get to talk about safe spaces and pajama boy and all that stuff. Uh, this was in the this was in the Daily Wire. What was it uh, early, earlier this week that there's a there's a study from San Francisco State University that claims that 25 percent of all millennials are suffering from get ready for it PTSD. Now PTSD is incredibly serious obviously PTSD is something that if you have for real reasons is uh, deserving of the most serious treatment and and assistance and help and and sympathy but they got PTSD because of the election that's right they are so psychologically traumatized because Trump won the 2016 election that they are now considering themselves to be officially uh, officially suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome to a clinically significant level. A clinically significant level. So, you know, this this is what I would say goes into the pile of evidence that I'm building up. Uh, maybe I'll have to do a book or a project on this about how the left really has lost its mind. I, I don't mean that as in, oh, I'm I'm trying to be funny about them or I'm I'm doing the usual thing that people do on radio or uh, in in political media, which is, you know, you exaggerate to get attention. No, no, I, I mean that there are a lot of people on the left who have had a real clinically um, possible to evaluate nervous breakdown, that they have lost it. I mean, they have lost it in a profound way. Uh, and this is, this is telling us that that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I always try to tell folks, you know, well, you know what my, my main thing with, with the liberals that I know and my liberal friends is when I, when they ask me, they say, oh, I don't understand how you don't know the country's in so much trouble and our institutions. They get all all bummed out about all this stuff. Really just, you know, Trump is destroying America and they, they cry about it and they get really upset. Uh, or they don't, well, hopefully they don't actually cry, but they, they whine about it. I try to tell them, you know, it really doesn't matter to you as much as you think it does. These things that you keep talking about, you know, are fraying institutions it's not going to affect your job. It's not going to affect your home. It doesn't affect anything that you think it is, especially when you're talking about stuff like Russia collusion. And But I, I really do believe that there's a, a big part of the general population that likes the anxiety of catastrophe, that they like to cling to this notion that, oh my gosh, like this terrible thing's going to happen. And I'm not saying there aren't real concerns that we should all have. I mean, you know, first and foremost among them is, you know, we're all going to die. That's a truth that we have to deal with, right? There, there are some real things out there to be worried about. Um, you know, we, we are probably going to explode our currency at some point. And, you know, fiat currency has, a, has an incredible track record historically of always, always leading to financial disaster. It has, ne- it has never been avoided. Fiat currency leads to financial disaster. There is a 100% uh, track record of this. So, you know, that's a real concern. Uh, disease that is incurable because of all the antibiotics, you know, essentially antibiotic-resistant bacteria and, a, you know, a mass infection or ma- mass viral plague, things like that. That's real concern. 
And day-to-day concerns are very real. You know, how are you getting along with your friends and family and how are you doing at work? But the concerns that liberals obsess over are delusions. Uh, This notion that the planet is going to die, and I mean that quite literally, the entire planet will die unless we start making insignificant modifications to our day-to-day lives uh, with regard to CO2 emissions, that's crazy. That it's not based in any reality. That's not a normal thing to be worried about. That's not a normal thing to think. That's just bonkers. And when you start to look at the other things that get liberals really upset, in you know, Russia collusion and election security and all that, uh, they, they are worried about things for the sake of worrying in many cases. But the problem is they believe it. They don't know that they're doing that. By the way, speaking of, a, of, of a, you know, very real PTSD, uh, I saw, you know, in, the, in one of the opening sequences of Peaky Blinders, which is an excellent show, um, and they really make use of the backdrop of the First World War uh, in terms of what it did to people and coming back from the First World War, having served in the trenches. And, you know, there's one guy who is clearly, he is continuously shell-shocked, has PTSD, you know, has not been able to readjust when he comes back. And I'm always amazed at how historically we sort of just think of the First World War as a prelude to the Second World War. And while that's technically true, the First World War was horrific beyond anything that we have ever seen in in the history of warfare, with the only exception of the Second World War. Right. So I think people think of the First World War as, eh, you know, a lot of wars, things happen. You know, the Second World War, though, was really, okay, yeah, that was the biggest the biggest military conflict in human history. But the second biggest was the First World War. I guess that's why you have the names, World War. But uh, I think it often gets left out of, uh, particularly in, in pop, you know, there's so many movies about this, about World War II, movies about World War I that really try to bring it home to you, not just the war itself, but the aftermath of the war. And I think that's an interesting component of, of Peaky Blinders, which I'm excited to, uh, man, it's kind of a cold, rainy DC weekend. I'm going to be, Netflix binging on some Peaky Blinders. I'm telling you, it is really solid show. The only problem I have with it is that it uh, it's kind of hard to understand some of the accents you come across sometimes. You end up sitting around going, what the heck was that? The kind of mumbly Birmingham brogue that these guys have is not always easy to not always easy to get through. But I highly recommend Peaky Blinders. If you're looking for a new show and you haven't watched you haven't watched it before. Uh, I would put it very near the top of your Netflix queue. Uh, so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Halloween here coming up in a moment. I've just, you know what? It's a Friday, and it's been a, it's been quite a week in the news cycle. So we've done a lot of policy, a lot of serious talk, a lot of breaking news talk. Let's just discuss some some other things. We've got some great guests coming up in the third hour too. So you want to stick around for that? Benny Johnson and Stephanie Hamill coming up. I got to say, I almost completely forgot. That it is Halloween, and I, I I have seen Halloween evolve so much as a holiday. I know that this isn't actually Halloween, but because it's the weekend, and Halloween this year falls on oh gosh, what is it? It falls on a, a Wednesday. You know, it's tough if you actually have a job and responsibilities. It's tough to really go out and do your thing and go. Well, if you're an adult, hopefully you're not going trick or treating, but. Go to one of those Halloween parties where everybody dresses up. And I, I really do think it's evolved into more of an adult of an adult holiday, uh, meaning that people used to... I always thought of it as a kid's holiday. Like, my parents never dressed up for Halloween when I was growing up. 
And now whenever I go anywhere and uh, and see, you know, I, I see adults all over the place. I, I've got a quick story I thought was interesting on this. On National Review, there's a piece on how at least one university, Gonzaga University, is warning people that uh, sexualized costumes can be dangerous. And I, I remember seeing this and I thought, dangerous how? Like, dangerous in a good way? Because, you know, this is where people point out that there's a very, there, there's a, a theme among some Halloween costumes, and that is that you'll have a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, w- women in their in their twenties generally that's that tends to be the main demographic who does this. Women in their twenties, and they will dress up as something, but they will put the word naughty before it, and th- that you know that you'll see a naughty tiger, for example, which is a tiger costume that is rather fitted, and you know the the classics here are of, co- of course naughty cop, naughty nurse. There's a whole bunch of them. And I got to say, when I was in college, there was certainly a lot of that going on. There was a lot of people dressed up as naughty stuff. Uh, but Gonzaga is very concerned about the, oh, first of all, that, that there are Christian origins to, the, to Halloween, which is true. Uh, so they, they make note of that. Is Gonzaga, John, Gonzaga, is, a, is it a Jesuit school? It is, right? It's, you know, the Je- Jesuits don't want anybody to have too much fun. You got to remember that. I went to Jesuit school. So they, they worry about the binge drinking and then the sexualized costumes and cultural appropriation. These, you know, the, now they're really just trying to take the fun out of Halloween. If you can't wear sexy costumes and you can't appropriate cultures, what the heck is Halloween for as an adult at least? And for kids, I would note, you know, it, maybe it's a good lesson in a sense because you end up realizing that you don't really want to eat candy all the time. You know, you don't really want to be in a position where you're just constantly gorging on Reese's Pieces. You will reach a saturation uh, saturation point for Reese's Pieces. You will find yourself at some point to have eaten all the M&M's. You know M&M's, the most, uh, most popular candy in the world? That's right, M&M's, number one. As a random aside, I almost uh, started working when I was waiting to go to the CIA. I got a, I got a job offer at a I forget which I didn't remember what it was called now but some big advertising company and they wanted me to work on candy and I'm pretty sure it was the Mars account which is uh, M&M's so I would have been peddling M&M's all over the world unless the CIA had taken me thank thank God they did Uh, but yeah you eat all that candy you realize you don't want to eat that much candy as a kid you know nobody really wants to eat that much candy I mean you you just reach this level where you're like "I've, I've had enough I don't really need to do this anymore and uh, so you learn that as a kid. And then, but then as an adult, as a guy, you know, you, you get to be around and, and women tend to dress some women, some women. I know a lot of you are like, Buck, I dress like a, uh, I dress like a witch and not a naughty witch, but a scary one. You know, whatever. That's, that's cool. But some college age and, and, and older young women tend to dress in more provocative fashion. So Gonzaga's worried about this. It also is a reminder for me that cultural appropriation, which has gotten all this attention right now over the over the holiday season, cultural appropriation is not a thing. It's not even that I disagree with cultural appropriation. It's that there's no such thing as cultural appropriation. It's not even possible. It's not something you can do because culture doesn't belong to anyone or any group. Culture is just a way that things are done, uh, a way of um, 
either eating or dressing or speaking or any number of things. And any human being can adopt any culture that they want. That's just the nature of it. In fact, all culture is in a constant state of appropriation and evolution. And the only way that culture evolves is by having other influences that affect it. So there's no such thing as a static culture. Therefore, you can't be stealing someone's culture. You can only be part of the general cultural osmosis. You like that? I pulled out a fun, fun word there. That everybody else is engaged in as well. But now I also remember some of my my best and worst costumes over the years. John, do you have a do you have a, a costume that you're either very embarrassed about or very proud of? Don't be sure. No, I don't. I, really? I don't think I've ever dressed up uh, as You've an adult. Never dressed up for Halloween as an adult? No. But as oh, a kid, oh, I see how it is. I see how you're calling me out now. I see what's up there. Is producer Mike? Is he going? Is he talking to a naughty nurse right now, or is he within earshot of the microphone? I think he's talking to a naughty secretary over somewhere. <laughs> That's that sounds that sounds about right. Uh, you know, every every time I think that we could get we could catch Mike on the mic, he is he's out getting phone numbers. Um, but I and I can tell you, my best costume ever was actually when I was a young adult in my uh, early twenties in D.C. I found a theater supply store because I got invited to a big fancy Halloween party, and I, I, I a theater supply store, and they let me rent. Because if you want to get really high-end costume and not spend a lot of money, you got to rent it. And I rented a full-on theatrical production costume slash kind of, you know, uniform replica of General Douglas MacArthur. I mean, with like the pantaloons and the pipe and the sunglasses and the whole thing, man. That costume was legit. By the way, pantaloons, be surprised how much attention the ladies give to a guy who walks around wearing wearing the pantaloons so that was a very good costume i dressed up as bjorn borg one year uh with a kind of a you know the 70s style tennis outfit because i just basically shrank a, a shirt in the water in the, in the dryer by accident and i had a headband and a, and a wooden tennis racket so that worked out so i don't have any fantastic costumes i'm not somebody who is is quite as up on on their costume game as many others. But I, I hope if you do go out this weekend, appropriate all the culture you want. And if you want to wear a naughty costume, guys or girls, ladies and gentlemen, by all means, that is that is your right. Because darn it, this is America. Um, but obviously, you know, be safe. Don't don't eat too much candy corn and don't drink too much spiked. Uh, What's wrong with candy pumpkin? corn? Pumpkin juice, dude. Candy corn rots your teeth as you're eating it. You know this. That's what makes you know, it so good. Mike finally appears. So I'm asking you, buddy, what yeah. what is your what is your best or worst or both Halloween costume that you remember? I was never a huge Halloween guy. I mean, as a kid, I obviously loved it, but uh, as an adult, I didn't get too much into it. But one year, it was actually uh, a bunch of my buddies and friends did a group thing, and we did the uh, Adams Family. And uh, I was uh, Gomez Adams. Um, and that was fun, actually, because there was like seven of us or eight of us. And uh, individually, people were like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? And then, but then when we got all together, it was like, ah, you guys are awesome. So that was uh, sort of fun. Nice. You hmm. go to any Halloween parties? Not recently. I, I, no, not anymore. All right. No. Fair well, enough. Yeah. I will, eat well, candy. I will eat the candy and I will give out the candy. But uh, what know. is the best Halloween candy? Good question. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a 
I have a huge sweet tooth, so I don't uh, discriminate. I go re- I go Reese's Pieces for me. Like if I'm just yeah. if I'm able to just pick any candy, I think Reese's Pieces is yeah is pretty spectacular. Yeah. All things I'm, considered, I mean, yeah, we actually got into this conversation in the office the other day. I'm a, I like to freeze some of my candy, and I think when you go frozen Milky Way, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I I had not thought about that. I do know that a fun tip for all those listening. If you ever like make brownies and you don't want to eat them all at once and you keep them in the freezer and then you want to put them in the microwave, they, they'll maintain freshness. Baked goods frozen is actually a very smart thing to do. Which yeah. I didn't learn until like a couple of years ago because yeah. apparently they didn't, they didn't teach us that in CIA school. <laughs> so uh, anyway, all right. Yeah, good, good, good times, producer Mike. Good times. Yeah. We're going to come back. We got uh, our buddy Benny Johnson in the mix. And then we've got... Uh, Stephanie Hamill. It's kind of like a double dose of the Daily Caller this Friday on the show. And, you know, before I actually did a a sit-down, I did the Federalist Radio Hour, which is a podcast today, with Molly Hemingway, who's just just so cool. She's great. She's so good on on Fox. So I've done a lot of content today. Oh, by the way, I'll be on Shannon Bream's show tonight at uh, 11 p.m. Eastern. So talking about all the stuff, bringing all the truth, Buck Wild style. And uh, I'll be back in just a moment. All right, I want to check in with my old buddy, Benny Johnson, about what is going on in this crazy world we live in. He is reporter at large at The Daily Caller. His Twitter is spitting fire 24-7. <laughs> and he was he is with us now. He's making time for us on a Friday. He's a busy man. Mr. Johnson, great to have you. Hey, Buck. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me You know, up. some people don't even know who are listening to this right now, Benny, that we go back to both of our infancies in media. So... You know, you, you are you are you're a very special man in that sense that we knew each other back in the earliest days. Going back eight years now, Benny. Just saying. Uh, it's I been mean, a while, man. Some, We're getting up there. Some of us are still infants, Buck. Some of us are still infants. So let's get to Avenatti. Uh Avenatti is having a rough rough day, rough week, rough month. NBC News now is uh coming under additional scrutiny because it seems like if they had done a little bit more vetting of Mr. Avenatti, well, maybe they wouldn't have uh, put some of the stuff out there that was part of the Get Kavanaugh chorus. What can you tell me about the latest with Avenatti? And I know the Daily Caller, you guys have been in touch with him. Yes, yes. So our media reporter, Joe Simonson, has been speaking with Avenatti, uh, has been doing some interviews, but this has not been a good week for creepy porn lawyer, as Tucker likes to say. Uh, first off, you have... Time Magazine publishing a uh, an interview that they did with him that he, 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 they asked him whether he wants to run for president and whether a white man should be the Democratic Party's nominee for president. And he says, yeah, well, white people are able to, white males are able to message better. I mean, this, this is very, very out of touch and out of step with the uh, common social justice, identity politics, Democratic Party. So wait, can I, can I just jump in for, for clarity's sake here, Benny? Yeah. So, so Michael Avenatti back in, in June said the Democrats need to have a white guy run because a white guy will make a better candidate for the Democrats. That's what he said, right? I mean, that that is what he yes. said. Yes. Correct. Okay. So that dropped this week, which is uh, an odd thing for a candidate to say, a very strange thing. If Donald Trump had said it, people would really stroke their chin. I'm, someone who's trying to run for the Democratic Party ticket, this is a real this is a real complicated this is a real complicated thing to say. Very problematic. The other thing that happened with the other thing that happened with Avenatti this week was you have uh, NBC 
publishing information about multiple corroborating evidences uh, with the with the Julie Swetnick allegations. So Julie Swetnick is a person who is uh, accusing Brett Kavanaugh of, of, of gang rape, accusing Brett Kavanaugh of spiking punch, of being uh, a man who drugs women and abuses women. And you have Julie Swetnick uh, saying that these things happened and Michael Avenatti wrapping her case and bringing her case and wanting her testimony, submitting it to the, the, to the Senate. And it comes out that NBC was not able to corroborate any of her accounts and also was able to find major issues with the people who said that they uh, had watched this happen. Uh, they essentially found people lying uh, under oath and Michael Avenatti, uh, taking the testimony and warping it uh, against the people's wishes. So this is a very, very crazy time um, uh, for Michael Avenatti, and it's not very good for him. Yeah, and I think that uh, people are starting to have second thoughts about whether or not he should run for president. That strikes me as not the best move. Uh, no, it's not the best move. Uh, you even have people like Chris Lizza at CNN, CNN, of course, being a major cheerleader, major cheerleader for Avenatti. Uh, you have people at CNN uh, making sure that uh, his name is starting to move down in the DNC uh, presidential candidates list. Uh, he is, uh, Crystal Lizzo said, maybe it's time for us to rethink Michael Avenatti as a DNC frontrunner. Now, I, I gotta, also got to ask you, Benny, Halloween. Halloween is a holiday that some of us think of as, um, you know, for kids. Where do you come down on this issue? Uh, it's not a, a holiday for kids. Is it a holiday for kids or should adults dress up? I'm going to be getting into a whole sexy costume conversation coming up here in a few minutes. And I need to know where you come down on this issue. Should adults be dressing up for Halloween? <laughs> uh, I mean, yes. I, there's been major issues in the news lately about problematic costumes. I think Megyn Kelly had a call this week about uh, essentially defending. Was she defending blackface? I don't really know, but she just doesn't have a job anymore. She has $69 million in her bank account, so that's great. Good for her. My goal, I guess, is to be fired by NBC and to get $70 million uh, for doing that thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think I'm going to dress up as Brett Kavanaugh for Halloween, and I'm going to wear uh, a, a, a judge's outfit, and I'm going to have a gavel, and I'm going to have a sign around my neck that says, I like beer, and... and that's going to be my costume. I don't. I don't really understand uh, what would be, you know, what would be problematic for this uh, as a kid or an adult. Now on the Megyn Kelly thing. By the way, did, did you used to do her show back in the day at Fox? I feel like you probably were in the mix for that. Um, she was uh, the first person that ever put ever put me on primetime at Fox. So I said yesterday that I feel like I have some. You know, I've, I have a certain fondness for Megan, but then again, I think she made her incredibly bad decisions uh, when it comes to leaving, how she left Fox, when she left Fox, where she went from Fox. But to me, it couldn't be any more obvious. They just wanted to get rid of her. I mean, this was really the pretext. What she said really wasn't, like, fireable offense. Well, no, it wasn't a fireable offense. I mean, this is sort of what happens in media is I think that NBC sort of was looking for an excuse get rid of Megyn Kelly. Her ratings were tanking. Uh, she wasn't fitting in at the network. And I think they just used this as the number one opportunity to 
uh, say there was a major there's a major conflict. Uh, but this is the same network that kept Matt Lauer around for decades, and this is the same network that wouldn't allow Ronan Farrow to publish his reporting on Harvey Weinstein uh, on their website. So this is a huge double standard. Yeah, and and I, I got to say. This is where we'll also see the one of one of my maxims is that the left takes care of its own where you can get terminated uh, on the left unless you're actually a known predator or something really terrible. You know, you've actually done something that's borderline up to and including maybe criminal. Uh, you can have a second act. I mean, you've already seen who's the guy who uh, the comedian Louis C.K. He's coming back. These other people. I think Megyn Kelly's done. I, I don't think that, you know, may, maybe she'll be. Uh, you know, selling slow cookers on like the home shopping network or something. But I don't think any major network is going to give her another shot because <laughs> there's only one place for her to go. And she left the Megan Kelly, in, uh, like infomercial for, uh, you know, sous vide steak cookers would be amazing. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, that would, that would be, that would be absolutely amazing, but you're exactly right. I mean, who's going to pick her up? I, I have no idea. I, I, I just she seems to have lit on fire all of her credentials with conservatives. And the conservatives who really loved her over at Fox did not follow her over to NBC. And then the people at NBC, the left at NBC, they just didn't like her in the first place. So they, you know, so she sort of lit both sides on fire. So where does she go from here? And she's not going back to Fox. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I don't think anyone else is going to see the investment of seventy million dollars uh, really being a meaningful or worthwhile investment because she didn't never delivered on ratings. And and in what universe is she worth seventy million dollars? By the way, I mean, wh- I whose know, idea man. was that? Yeah, I don't know. She did that weird Putin interview. Remember that? That was supposed to be her big breakout. She went and interviewed Putin, and guy doesn't even speak time. English. How much of an interview can that really be? Let's get serious for a second. <laughs> she can't even communicate with him. Everyone criticized her. I mean, up and down for what she or for what she was wearing, for the six inch heels, for everything. Uh, it just didn't work out. I just the whole time for Megyn Kelly at NBC was an it was an unmitigated disaster. I think leaving Fox was a huge, huge issue. And people that are conservative in the media, you just got to know that there are long knives out for you wherever you go. Yep, it is true. Benny Johnson, everybody, follow him on Twitter. His Twitter account is amazing. Also, go to uh, Daily Caller to see his latest over there. Mr. Benny Johnson, have a fantastic weekend. Are Are you dressing up in costume? By the way, I didn't get to ask. Uh, yes, yes, I, I will be, I, I will be dressing up as, uh, as Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I, uh, I will be, yeah, I will, I will be going as a Brett Kavanaugh with a keg and, uh, I like beer sign around my neck and a judge's robe and a gavel. Wow. You, you are triggering libs left and right. Benny Johnson, everybody. Have a great <laughs> weekend, Benny. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. All right, team, more coming. Stay with me. But certainly you have people coming up through the southern border from the Middle East and other places that are not appropriate for our country. And I'm not letting them in. They're not coming in. All right. They're not coming in. We're going to do whatever we have to. They're not coming in. Everybody, we have a special guest on this uh, fantastic Friday. We have Stephanie Hamill with us on the line. She is a video columnist at The Daily Caller. She is fierce. And she is informed. She joins us now. Stephanie, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. I love it. Oh, of course. Now that you're in the Freedom Hut now. Things, good things happen here. So tell me what's going on. What's the latest with this caravan? I've been talking about it every day this week. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fell out of the news cycle, right? It's like, you know, thousands of people aren't storming through Mexico trying to make it to the U.S.-Mexico border and uh, eventually enter the U.S. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, still thousands of people are going. Some people are kind of shutting down. They say their feet hurt, they're tired, they're going to go back home. But still, there are thousands of people. And the idea that Mexico isn't doing enough to stop them is really, really alarming, isn't it? I mean, these are our allies, and they're just letting them go through because they know that these people don't want to stay in Mexico. It would be a totally different story if the people from Honduras or anywhere else in Central America wanted to stay in their country. They would take, a, you know, have a big issue with that. But since they're going directly to the United States, they kind of just sit back and let it happen. What do you think about the Trump administration move here to send active duty military down to the border? I think that it's absolutely necessary. I talked to Border Patrol agents and they say that it's necessary. Look, there's not a ton that the military can do. They're not going to go in and arrest people or, or, you know, there's not calls for them to, like, you know, shoot people that are trying to cross the border. But Border Patrol agents need assistance. And they said that they need right now support and eyes. And so when they have thousands of people storming the border that they're going to have to deal with, and, you know, not all these people are criminals. Most of them are just poor people, you know, looking for the American dream. But inside this caravan, if that's what you want to call it, there are definitely criminals in the caravan. And Border Patrol agents have said this. Uh, DHS has said this. They know for a fact because this is what criminals do. They take advantage of these types of situations. Uh, so having the military there as extra eyes and support would really help our Border Patrol agents. I also really strongly believe that the president should follow through on cutting aid to these countries. Uh, Central America, they receive hundreds of millions of dollars a year and have been receiving hundreds of millions of dollars over the past years, you know, an aid. And what are they doing for their people? Not enough. Obviously not enough to the point where these people are just fleeing to the United States. And so they need to be held accountable. And, they, you know, we feel bad for these people. We understand that they want to come to the greatest country in the world, but that's just not how it works. They have to go through the process. They have to wait in line just like everyone else. And uh, I, I've been following a lot of the news, the Spanish news uh, networks like Univision and Telemundo, and they make it very clear that, of course, there is violence, and, you know, that's an issue in those countries because the drug cartels are running amok and, you know, obviously there's uh, a lot of evidence or, you know, people will say that the government's aware of it. They know it. They just look the other way on that issue. Um, but, yeah, we feel bad for them. But we need to, we are a nation of laws and we need to enforce our laws. And that's what is what makes our country so great. Uh, these people are fleeing places where, you know, there is no law and order. Seth, you're a uh, you're a Spanish speaker, aren't you? Yes. You speak Spanish. Your your family background as you have your your what uh, your Spanish on uh, Mexican on one side, correct? Yeah. So my mom's from Jalisco, Mexico. She came to this country many 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 years ago. She she went through the process. She came here legally. Uh, she's married a U.S. citizen. So uh, my dad's from Michigan. He's white, and so I'm bicultural. I do speak Spanish. Half my family lives in Mexico, and you know they're aware of the situation. They don't like it. And yeah, Mexico is a dangerous place as well. I mean. Yeah, the, the drug cartel is operating inside of Mexico. It's operating in Central America. We're aware of that. Um, but And there's also a lot of uh, you know, economic migrants coming from Mexico, too. And so yeah, when we see this, a lot of the Mexican people, you know, they because some of the Central Americans do come to Mexico and some of them do stay, 
Uh, Mexicans don't like that either because they say it lowers their wages and, you know, they worry about crime coming into Mexico, more crime than this, than they would have to deal with. And I was watching some of the news. Right. Well, I asked you about it specifically because I, I, I always think it's so interesting when you talk to people who are legal immigrants, this is a perspective that, or, or rather have legal immigrants in their family. Uh, it's a perspective that doesn't get shared nearly enough in the media. All I hear on on all but one of the channels that, that cover news day in and day out is essentially sob stories about how anyone who wants to come here should be able to come here. Meanwhile, I get emails and phone calls and, and all kinds of messages into my program from legal immigrants who are like, you don't just get to w- literally walk here and say, I now get to stay. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, like I was saying, I was watching some of the reports from Univision uh, and they, one of their reporters went out and interviewed people in Florida and California, specifically Hispanics that, you know, speak Spanish. And they were saying that, uh, you know, just like the president says, people are welcome here, but they need to go through the process just like we did. And this was all in Spanish. And the reporter just looked kind of blown away. He wasn't expecting those answers. Because what we're told by the liberal media is that this is all about racism, that this country doesn't want brown people here, which is absolutely 100% false. This isn't about your skin color. This is about our nation's laws, our immigration laws. I think it doesn't matter. Imagine if 7,000 people were, you know, going through from Russia, going to Canada and storming the border there. We wouldn't be okay with that. This has nothing to do with your skin color. Uh, President Trump lays this out really nicely that we need to allow people in here based on merit. And, you know, we don't need a bunch of low-skill workers right now. And, you know, like I said, we have compassion. We feel bad for them. But we need to put this country first. And this isn't going to benefit us. If we allow this to continue to happen, it sends the wrong message. And we're just going to continue to let in the whole world's poor. And America would eventually turn into a third world country. So we want to protect what we have. And, you know, aside from all of that, also, they bring their poli- I- for the most part, they bring their politics. And so these are left-leaning people that, or, you know, not maybe they're like not even really super political, but they're coming, they're running away from countries uh, with leftist politicians that have been pushing leftist policies that are destroying their own countries. At the end of the day, these people need to be held accountable. They need to clean up their countries. They need to go after the drug cartels, stop this corruption. And if you look at what this president has been doing, you know, we, we have a lot of things going on here. President Trump wants to crack down on, uh, on drugs in general. Like this is, he's got the war on drugs going on. And it seems like there's pushback on that. Like people just aren't really interested in stopping this flow of drugs coming across the border. Not only is it killing Americans more than anything else. I mean, this is a huge epidemic. But uh, also, this is what the drug cartels are thriving on. If we can shut that down, that would really stop business for them. And, you know, maybe they would stop, uh, you know, hurting their own people. Steph, where can people go to watch your commentaries and see what you've got going on at Daily Caller? Okay, yeah. So they can check me out at dailycaller.com. They can follow me on Twitter. I post a lot of videos. I do a lot of interviews. And I'm also a Fox 5 contributor. So they can catch me on Like It or Not on Tuesdays and on Fridays in D.C. The one and only Stephanie Hamill, everybody. You're going to hear from her again on this show and a whole lot of other places. Steph, thanks for making the time. Have a great weekend. Okay, thanks, Buck. We got Roll Call coming up. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Double Roll Call, because it's Friday. Fry-yay. About to kick off the weekend, everybody. It's been quite a week. I feel like I say that every week, but it's usually true. And uh, I am looking forward to hanging out a bit. I've got my folks, my parents, the Sexton parents, coming down to Washington, D.C. this weekend. 
they have spent very little time in the swamp. I, I'd be willing to bet my parents probably haven't overnighted in D.C. in 20 years. So it'll be fun to show them around a little bit and uh, you know see what they think of this funky little town that is our nation's capital. It'll be a lot of fun. We're just going to eat a lot of good food and have some family time. And that's what I've got. Let's get to it. We have Mud, who writes, Buck, with all the Dems having no scruples, what if they have two problems to solve and could solve those problems with one cascading decision? What if illegal invaders provide not only a source of votes, but a cleansing of their troubles? What if all the maladies that accustom the illegal invaders help to relieve the Dems of unpleasant decisions? What if those unpleasant decisions involve the poor, the insane, and the druggies? Love all your work. You receive great praise here and are blessed with constant votes of confidence. Thank you for all you do and the invaluable intel you provide. May your time off be joyous, relaxing, and fruitful. Mud. Uh, Thank you, Mud. Um, What if the illegals solve multiple problems of votes, maladies that... I'm not really clear on exactly what you're asking me here, buddy, but I do appreciate the kind note. Thank you very much. Ray writes, Buck, since it is technically an invasion, can Trump declare the border a war zone and limit media access so they can't use the pictures of the poor women and children? Just wondering. Thanks. Ray, I don't think that... Well, you know, I think that he maybe He could declare it a national emergency. But I don't think he'd be able to declare it a war zone. Technically, as we know, only Congress can declare war. But here's where things get interesting. Because I've explained to you that in terms of what the law is now and where Congress actually is on this issue of the border and immigration, they can claim, uh, this caravan can claim asylum and there's nothing to stop them necessarily from that. But, The president, as we know from the whole kerfuffle over the Muslim ban, does have the ability to declare any group of aliens to be a problem for national security purposes and to bar them entry to the United States. Therefore, the president could, under his national security authority as the commander-in-chief, and this is in congressional statute right now, the president could say, you are not allowed to come into this country because you are a national security threat. I'm the commander-in-chief. That's just the way that it is. This, though, would be challenged immediately in the courts. The press would completely freak out on, on this whole situation, as you can imagine. And uh, I'm not sure how it would even be resolved. But I, I do think that, that just wargaming this out a little bit, that could happen. As to keeping the press away... I'm not comfortable with trying to prevent the media from seeing something that's actually going on. So I, I would not want that to happen. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think the media should be able to report on what's going on in war zones. I think the media should be able to report on pretty much anything that's happening here with the possible exception of things that are a imminent national security risk, you know, troop movements and the like. Uh, Aries. Buck, does Glenn Beck have access to your Facebook account? Because it seems like his monologues are an exact copy of of what I wrote you. Um, well, uh, Aries, I've I've got to take a look. I don't know. Um, I haven't actually talked to Glenn in a little while. I mean, I know that Glenn. Sorry, I know that Glenn doesn't have access to my Facebook account. What I meant was, 
I don't know what Glenn's monologues have been recently, so I will have to take a, a peek at that. And I'm sure, Aries, you're a very wise man, and uh, Glenn is a very talented entertainer, so it wouldn't surprise me if you guys had some some shared thoughts. But I, I promise you I'm not secretly slipping Glenn your Facebook messages for use in his radio show. Promise. Alicia writes, love your show. Well, Alicia, thank you so much. I have a question that's driving me crazy that I hope you can answer. The Supreme Court recently upheld the president's right to limit who can and can't enter our country by upholding a travel ban. Why can't Trump unilaterally halt immigration and asylum requests from Central American nations until the loopholes can be closed? Well, Alicia, it's like you read my mind because, as you know, I just talked about this. I do believe the president under his constitutional authority as commander-in-chief and the congressional companion statute that spells this out more explicitly, can bar any class of alien from entry into the United States for national security reasons. Now, is it a, a good look, as they say? Well, would it be good optics for the president to say that a group of migrants who are predominantly seeking a... a they are Look, they're seeking economic opportunity. They want to be in America. Right. There are MS-13 gang members, though, among this group. I've spoken to journalists who are down there covering the caravan. And there's also a lot of behind-the-scenes organization that's going on here. And we shouldn't be forced into this ridiculous decision of, or ridiculous uh, position, I should say, of not being able to discuss the fact that, of course, there are organizers. Of course there are. No question. Um, just, well, the question is who the organizers are, but there's, there's clearly organization. Bob writes, wow, Candace Owens absolutely owned Crystal today on Rising, buck slap worthy. It was priceless to watch Crystal keep trying to get the last word in, which she always does, but every time Candace would smack her down again, which only got her more frustrated. I loved it. Very entertaining. Well, Bob, you're not alone in thinking that exchange is very entertaining. I can tell you that, uh, a lot of folks wrote to me about that one. And look, Crystal and Candace are both fierce and they are both true believers. And when you put two fierce intellectual combatants at the same table on an issue that is really passionate for them, you're going to have some interesting stuff happen. And I think that is what happened today or yesterday, rather. So if you haven't seen it, hill.tv slash rising, it's still up there, folks. And uh, trust me, you will find it to be very, uh, very interesting. Uh, Jeff writes, tonight, one of your most poignant shows to date. Please transcribe, especially around the 25-minute mark, approximately the end of that segment, why the left is a mad, wild bunch of cryberries, uh, crybabies, cryberries. Um, our shields are high, my friend. Keep the faith, Jeff. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for the kind words. It really does mean a lot. Uh, I, I, I come to the show every night, and all I can think about is, how much I feel an obligation to bring my very best for all of you that are, are so uh, so kind and supportive as to give your time as fellow patriots and uh, as fellow God-fearing Americans, if I may say so, who join me in this quest we have for truth and for enjoyment and entertainment in the Freedom Hut. So thank you for that. It really does mean a lot. And uh, as for the transcribing that show... I would love to get us a transcription uh, transcription service, but it might take a little time before we have that up. But you remember, you can always, if you're a live radio listener, you can always go back and listen to the podcast of this show 
And the Buck Sexton Show podcast is the simple, uh, single most straightforward, simplest way for anyone to go back and listen on demand whenever they want. We are on the iHeart uh, iHeart platform, so you can listen to the uh, on iHeart podcast. You can also listen on I, Apple Podcasts. So those are the best ways to do it. Cade writes, Liberal Logic, someone gets shot by some whack job. Liberals say we must get rid of the Second Amendment without addressing who's actually responsible. Some whack job sends out popcorn fart pipe bombs to high-ranking Democrats, and we must blame Donald Trump. Everything to them is politics. They don't solve any problems. Well, Cade, I do think there's a lot of hypocrisy and dishonesty on the left on these issues, as I have been discussing with you for quite some time. And this issue of how we should respond. I mean, look, let's all be very clear about this. They've been saying, let's take the temperature down while simultaneously blaming the right and blaming Trump for a series of hoax bombing uh, threats or rather hoax bomb, you know, mail bomb uh, threats or whatever. I don't even know what we're supposed to call these things, right? I mean, they're Essentially, uh, you know, fake bombs through the mail is what I think. We don't. It's not confirmed they're fake, but none of them have exploded, and it's looking increasingly like they could not detonate. But that's not confirmed yet. But they're assuming that it's on the right. They're assuming this is conservatives' fault without evidence to actually back that up. So that just goes to show you that they are not interested in taking the temperature down. They are interested in scoring political points. More roll call up next. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, the continuation of Roll Call. I love doing this on Friday. I feel like I have to spend a lot of time with you. And I know I kept saying that we were going to set up an email that you could write to as well. And we have an email, but I haven't opened it in a while. You know what? Fine. I should open that email. All right, so I opened it up. I'm not going to be lazy. Wow, we have a lot of emails in here. Okay, sorry, sorry, guys. Uh, I've fallen a little behind on this. Officialteambuck at gmail.com is the uh, is the box that we use here. So officialteambuck at gmail.com if you'd like to email. Uh, Chuck writes, Buck, do you remember the scene in Minority Report after Cruz shoots the child predator? The FBI agent is looking at all the evidence in the bedroom and says that it is an incredible amount. So we have this bomber with an incredible amount of evidence, inert bonds with plenty of DNA, fingerprints and serial numbers, all said from the same area in one state, in one county, possibly one city, did it come with a are you here sign too? Am I just paranoid or is this way too much good luck? Chuck. Chuck, uh, I've never seen Minority Report, so I can't speak to that part. I know, right? Buck didn't see Minority Report? Kind of weird. Can't speak to that, but um, I'll give it some thought. Here we go. Kyle writes, Buck, random question for a poll. What if, God forbid, remember, this is coming to us from officialteambuck at gmail.com. What if, God forbid, there was another attack like 9-11? Will we do the whole Iraq invasion thing again to another country trying to hunt the perpetrators in their home country? Or not what, but basically, what would be our response in this day and age? I'm curious because of the whole Saudi situation, so let me know. Um, If there was another 9-11, would we hunt them in their home country? Uh, Yes. The answer is yes, Kyle. In fact, I think if there was another 9-11, we would probably take a more World War II version of what our response would be, which is uh, mass destruction of any area that we think plays uh, was giving safe haven to them. 
Um, I think the American people's wrath, if there were another day when we lost 3,000 people in one terrorist attack, would be a, a fearsome and biblical thing. That's my, that's my sense of it. But, you know, it would depend on a lot of factors. Andrew writes, Buck, I'm 32 years old and never voted in a midterm election, just presidential years. This year's the exact, uh, exception. I'm so sick of the crap the Democrats are pulling that I made sure my registration was up to date and I'm voting. I really doubt that I'm alone on this one. Thanks, Buck. Well, Andrew, good for you, man. Uh, hopefully, well, I don't think you told me what state you're from here, but, you know, you, you got to get out there. Everybody, vote, please. I don't want to be like one of these dumb celebrities. That's like, you just got to vote, man, because it's cool. No, but but please do vote, especially if you live in a state where it matters. It matters everywhere, but, you know, it matters really in your, for your congressman, for sure. For senator, I mean, you're probably not going to do much in California voting for a Republican. But, hey, give it a shot. You never know until you try. Eric writes, I'm in Trinidad for business and I'm listening on the iHeartRadio app. Team Buck International. Fun listening in the car and at my desk. Well, that's awesome, Eric. Man, I'm glad you you can always bring the Buck Sexton show with you anywhere you go. Don't ever forget that, folks. You are never limited to the continental United States Team Buck. You can be part of Team Buck International. The iHeart app lets you listen live. Matt writes, Buck, as a convicted felon in Georgia, it gets frustrating around election time. Not being able to vote doesn't affect my passion, though. I still try and do my part by opening my mouth and speaking up. Oddly enough, I became a conservative while in prison. What better model of socialism-communism do we have than state or federal prison? The pay-to-play corruption and complete sense of powerlessness will stay with me forever. Definitely gives me a healthy love for freedom and our constitutional republic. Lately, I think Republican fears of felon voting is misplaced. This is purely anecdotal, but all the possible lib voters I encountered in prison probably wouldn't go to a poll if their lives depended on it. Not very impressive people. That's kind of where they send us. Keep up the good fight. Shields high in Georgia. Matt. Well, Matt, really interesting to hear from you, man. I, I appreciate getting a perspective from somebody who has, uh, has served time for a, a felony and uh, can speak to what it's like being a prisoner and also what, it, what the political vibe is on, on the inside. And hey, man, you know, every day, every day is an opportunity to be a positive force for in your own life, and that really comes first, and a positive force for all those around you. And we all we all have our burdens to carry, but we all have chances to overcome them every day. So God bless and good luck to you now that you're on the outside. Uh, let's see what we got here. We have hold on a second. Uh, wow, we got a lot of we got a lot of the same folks writing in on the, in the in, inbox here. Um, interesting. Ron writes, I'll be chivalrous and say that Christine Ford is mistaken. She doesn't remember where, she doesn't remember when, and she and I submit she doesn't remember who either. Um, and I think she's a big liar from Ron. Well, Ron, yeah, I think that she's wrong too. So I will, uh, I will say that to you for sure. I think that she is mistaken. And I, I don't know if it was in, an intentional I don't know if it was a malicious mistake or it was just a general mistake, but um, you know, you know, there you go. So there you have it. Um, let's uh, get to the next one here. Um, Michael writes, "Please remind us of Jimmy Kimmel's uh, video where he wore blackface, mocking athletes. He refused to apologize." Michael. I have never seen that video, but that's very interesting that you bring that up. I am not. 
I'm not aware of that video, so I better I better check that out. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Kathy writes, Hey, Buck, this is extremely elementary, and you have already addressed this, but what's up with Mexico letting all these people cross their border? Why is this not more of an issue? Thanks. Love the show. Shields high, Kathy. Well, Kathy, love you. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, you know, Mexico lets them through because Mexico has its own domestic political reasons for this, and obviously, if Mexico devoted enough resources that they could really shut down this situation, uh, then you'd probably wonder, well, why can't they stop more legal immigration that's not from Honduras? So, everybody, you have orders for this weekend. Have a great, restful, relaxing if you can, but productive if it must be, but enjoyable weekend. We are back into the breach together next week. Shields high.